0: Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead.
1: Welcome to another episode of Max Mike Movies as serialized in Colliers. This is the show that dares to ask the question, Do I feel lucky? Well, do ya? Punk? What are you calling punk? Punk? (laughs) This week we're bringing you, live and on tape from Hollywood, another edition in our series, Then and Now, where we take turns choosing a classic movie and one of its remakes for discussion. I'm your host cooking the most roast on the East Coast, Max Levine. Uh, uh, I'm Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Regular ball of fire, that guy. Uh, (laughs) this This week we're discussing the 1961 classic Kurosawa samurai flick, Yojimbo and its American cousin 1964's A Fistful of Dollars East, meet West West, this is East Have some coleslaw, won't you? How you doing? Nice to meet you (laughs) (laughs) While wildly different in setting and style It's pretty clear how much Yojimbo Influenced Fistful of Dollars As we shall soon see Influenced? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the polite way It's like research, you know Okay (laughs) Okay Uh,
0: pray tell, though, how might our, our listeners get in touch with us and help ah. suggest such cool
1: things as this series? Mm-hmm. Well, they have so many options. Do they? They do. You can find us, of course, on our website, as much many of you do, maxmikemovies.com. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app or even a podcast app you hate with all your soul. Uh, either the Apple iTunes podcast app, or just the Apple podcast app, or the Google podcast app. You can find us on Facebook at, well, Max Mike Movies. And you can find us on the Twitter at plot Max Mike Movies. Yeah, that's it.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. Hork! Wasn't a very <laughs> good word, but there you go. Yes, yes. Well, it's not much of a sponsor, really. No. Mm. Buy Hork where you shop and save. <laughs> where you work or bank. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Hork. <laughs> and so, by the way what is orc. up with Zangief's
1: ass moving what on is, yes, <laughs> it's been weeks yes it has I'm sure the people are missing it so let's start off talking about Yojimbo or the bodyguard
0: the show
1: I speak the Japanese you looked it up yes I did <laughs> As so all the Japanese I know is from the from the miniseries Shogun. Um, ah, Anjin-san. Yes. Perhaps oh, you'd so, like a duck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Deep, deep cut for the book there, folks. Sorry. Strangely I... enough, that did not make it into the miniseries. Yay. <laughs> never. never, never. Uh, he said no. <laughs> 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 all right. So. so but, uh, plots. Yes. Well, or, or trivia, plots, however you want to do. trivia. Uh, either way. Yojimbo uh, is directed by the legendary Japanese director Akira Kurosawa and stars the equally legendary actor Toshiro Mifune. These two made so many amazing movies together. Uh, The plot of both Yojimbo and Fistful of Dollars is pretty much the same. There is a small town with two warring collections of bad guys and a mysterious samurai-slash-gunslinger, Walks into slash rides into town and decides to set the two against each other to bring peace and justice back to the town for reasons. That's pretty much it. You have more or less peace there because, yeah, anyway, we'll get to that too. So...
0: That is, that that, is, that is, that covers both. Well, of course, these are supposed to be remakes, or at least we chose films paired because one is a (laughs) remake of the other. But let's get into trivia, shall we? Yeah,
1: there is a ton on both, so I'm I'm just going to touch on a couple of things. First of all, it's painfully clear that Sergio Leone, the director of Fistful of Dollars, was, in fact, um, inspired by (laughs) Yojimbo. Are you only uh, saying that because of the lawsuit? Yes, because when <laughs> Leone made his movie and Three years later He uh did not exactly get permission In fact, he entirely did not get permission And Kurosawa sued him and won And Leone had to pay him a big chunk Plus 15% of the profits uh, Kurosawa said he actually made more money Off that lawsuit than he did off of Yojimbo Ooh, that's sad Yeah, well A lot of Japanese movies didn't have wide release Hmm uh, Tatsuya Nakadai, who plays the flamboyant, pistol-wearing Unosuke in, uh, in Yojimbo, also plays the main villain in the sequel, Sanjuro, which came out the next year. Nobody knew it was going to be as popular as it was, but so they kind of rushed the sequel. If you ever watch the sequel, you can kind of see it's pretty much the first movie with different names. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Now, speaking of inspirations and such, I think this is a really interesting point on how the different cultures go back and forth influencing each other. This movie was, in fact, an uncredited film version of Dashiell Hammett's 1929 novel, Red Harvest, which has never been officially filmed, about a detective who comes to a small city and pits both sides in a gang war against each other until both are almost completely wiped out. The scene where... Toshiro Mifune's character's held and beaten was taken from Hammett's novel *The Glass Key*, which has been adapted for screen twice. Uh, Kurosawa was himself was influenced by westerns like *High Noon* in 1952 and 1953's *Shane*, and he has admitted being very heavily influenced by the film noir *The Glass Key*.
0: Shane, come back. Mother wants you, wants
1: you, wants you. you. Uh, Both of these movies are examples of the sort of man with no name movie, although technically both (laughs) characters have names. Well, that's not (coughs) true. Sort of. You see, when the samurai who went in in Yojimbo, they ask him his name, he sort of looks out the window, sees a bunch of mulberry bushes, and says his name is Kuabatake Sanjuro. Kuabatake means mulberry bushes. Yeah. Basically... Thirty-year mulberry the, bush field. Yes, yeah, he's basically looking out the window and say, seeing a tree and saying, "My name's John Tree." Now, so he does uh, in effect have no name. Well, but you know, so does Blondie, which is interesting
0: because yeah. somebody does use a name multiple yeah. times. They call him Joe,
1: right? But we don't know if that's actually his name or if it's sort of that just generic. Hey, we're just calling you're an American. We're calling you Joe. Hey, Joe. What do you know? I'm just yeah. back from Idaho. <laughs> uh. Interestingly, also, a parallel in both of these films is both directors were changing the way violence was shown on film. Kurosawa really, it was a deliberate attempt on his part to show the real damaging effect of violence rather than the kind of anodyne sanitized form that usually got shown in the movies up until the early 60s. You know, somebody gets hit with a sword, there's no blood. Of course, there isn't a lot of blood in this. No, no. But people just sort of fell down. Nobody screams. Nobody gets bruised. It's not. It's very clean. And in this, you can tell vi- the violence is terrible. Yeah. Well, people. Somebody loses an arm right off. So. Yeah, gets their arm hacked off. Uh, so as far as trivia goes for um, Jimbo, I'll just stop there. Because uh, that I think that's that's enough. Because we do have two movies to get through, and uh, the rest I think we just talk about the movie itself. The Lowdown. So we're going to start with Yojimbo. Awesome. That's yep. how I have my note. Yep.
0: So first off, I will say for people who have not seen Yojimbo, especially potentially younger listeners, and by younger, I mean 20s and up,
1: it's going to require reading. Yep. There are <laughs> subtitles. You should watch it with subtitles, not the dubbing. Oh, dear gods. They dubbed this? Of course they did. They dubbed oh. everything.
0: Yeah. <sighs> um, that being said i think it in a way is an advantage in this case because it causes you to pay a bit more attention at least for me it did i actually watched these back to back Mm -hmm. Uh, just worked out that way but it is not the action film that we have today Um, There is not the super fast cutting. There is not the roller coaster plot line that makes sure that something's moving every 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more mood to this. And also, to be fair, there are parts of it that are obviously based on Japanese culture where if you don't have an inkling, some things just might seem strange or weird. That being said, it is kind of a Western. It feels very much like a Western. It is not only watchable, but it is gorgeous. I lucked out um, when I rented it um, it was a Criterion print. Criterion, for those who don't know, is a company that seeks out the best in film and tries to, if not restore it, find the absolute best prints possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lucked out, um, and I got to see a really good print.
1: And it made me miss black and white. It is beautifully photographed. Oh, it's The filming is gorgeous. The cinematography in this is amazing.
0: Yeah, the contrast, the blacks versus whites are great. Um, it's... It, it, I mean, it's a classic film. It, it, it is
1: well regarded for very, very good reasons. And uh, for a movie of its era, as we've complained sometimes about 60s movies, the pacing is very good. It moves mm-hmm. along really nicely. It does. There's nothing dull. You, you never feel it's dragging. No. Uh, it's. Yeah, it's incredibly consistent. And again, I, I put that down to Kurosawa because the man was a cinematic god. There is also some... Very dark
0: humor. Some of it yeah. very early in the film. <laughs> like there's yeah. this, a scene in very early in the film where he's like, "Oh, this is an interesting village," and the next thing you see is this small dog running
1: towards the camera with a hand in its mouth. A human hand. Yeah, that's actually one of the great establishing shots because right away, you know, okay, I you have not walked into a nice place. No, you you picked the wrong. And actually, this this. Uh, mm.
0: This has to sort of drift into Fistful of Dollars. And it's one of the things that I think Yojimbo does. And it is very, it's probably a 30 second scene, but which really helps the character in Yojimbo and they leave it out of Fistful of Dollars. Mm. We see Sanjuro, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I think Sanjuro literally means 30 years, but don't, don't mm. quote me on that. Mm. So we see Sanjuro and he's, it's obviously cold because he's got his arms inside his kimono and it's windy, and it's bleak, and he comes to a crossroads, and he's like, huh, and he picks up a stick, throws a stick (laughs) in the air, and it lands, and he goes, okay, I'll go that way. Yeah, totally random. immediately tells us, this guy's got nowhere to go. He doesn't have anything but what he's got on him. There's nothing pulling him anywhere. He's not connected. That one gesture, that one thing tells us so much about the character. They leave Beautiful. it out they leave it out of fistful of dollars which I think is a shame he just walks up and it's like oh it's the town and I, I I wish it had given us that little inkling you know something that tells to us Joe the man with no name whoever he is also has nowhere to go we don't know that
1: yeah I, I, I that actually brings up a trivia point from uh fistful of dollars I was going to save till later but I think it's kind of interesting you're right that we don't really have any idea who he, who he is or how drifting he is when the movie made its network TV debut in the ABC Sunday Night Movie in <laughs> 1975, uh-huh. they they added a prologue, oh. when in which an unidentified lawman or politician who is played by Harry Dean Stanton orders Joe to get rid of the gangs of San Miguel in exchange for a pardon. Oh, yeah. Now neither Eastwood nor Leone were involved in the shooting of this additional footage. Uh, a double with his face and hidden and stock footage of Eastwood were used. Oh, boo hiss. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it was, it's just Ugh. listening to it. It sounds like the worst idea in a long line of worst ideas it's inelegant i mean that thing with the stick it's like it there's
0: nothing yeah. spoken he doesn't nope. say well i guess i'll go this way nothing he just he tosses the stick and it immediately tells you so much it is mm-hmm. that's that little
1: stuff like that is when kurosawa's at his best for me um we're I, also told what's going on in a little bit we're given a well, very brief <laughs> sort of blurb that says it's 1860 it's the end of the tokugawa era and a lot of samurai are now ronin, which is a masterless samurai. Right. That's what this guy is. It's very clear he's a samurai without a master, and that's that's a weird position to be in because part of a samurai's um, prestige was who he served. Right. And a samurai who served no one they were they were kind of considered trash. And even visually,
0: the, his hair's grown out, so he doesn't mm-hmm. have that that odd samurai upper-class uh, haircut yeah well he's got his top knot but the, like his forehead is not shaved the, the yes. top part of his head is not shaved like the other upper level ones later in the film so you've gotten that as well um yeah you're talking about that the, there's some exposition oh boy so both films suffer <laughs> from a fact that in oh, yeah. town there is a restaurant that is called exposition and you can walk <laughs> oh, into it. Oh, it is not. <laughs> oh, it is. Cause you can walk in and yeah. this guy you don't know has never met you. will not only serve you for free, but he'll tell you exactly what's going on.
1: In Yojimbo, my notes on your jimbo, I refer to the innkeeper as exposition son.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And you know,
1: it's no better in Fistful of Dollars. No, it's the same thing. Now it's uh, Cantina on, San. you know, or, you know, it's funny. It, it made me think that these movies would actually have been good in our series In Search of D&D. Because that's what happens in a a D&D game often. You come into a town, you find an NPC who conveniently explains the entire situation to you. Well, you look kind of new and useless. Did
0: you know that this town, first founded in 1428,
1: is... Yeah, no exposition. san lays out. Here are the two gangs. They used to work together. Yep. Uh, one of them runs a brothel. One of them is run, has cornered the sake market. They're gamblers. Yeah, gamble. Ooh, gambling bad. Woo hiss gambling. Oh yeah, the gambler. A gambler apparently in this is a Japanese movie trope for that era of bad guy. Yeah. Or or at least uh, untrustworthy guy. I don't know this and I'm sure somebody could write in
0: to to correct me but it might also be that this is where we have the very beginnings of things like the yakuza so you know which is still mm-hmm. considered depends bad
1: who, depends who you ask I think the yakuza was more of a 20th century thing
0: no they had their start they actually were something totally different um and i forget i did read about this once but they weren't like they didn't start off as criminals it just ended up that way Mm. um that being said uh you know people still think you know ah yakuza bad also one of the things that shows up early is they that he meets up with these tough guys uh and they are all tattooed tattoos still have a very strong stigma in japanese society Mm. they're only now they're only considered something that People like Yakuza or criminals would have to the point that public bathhouses, which are still a thing, often have signs up saying, You can't have tattoos and come in here. No, yeah. tattoos not welcome. The thing that kills me is. The guys that are explaining their tattoos, the first guy, he's like, yeah, look at this. I have this tattoo that, that says this, and I'm a bad guy. And the look Mufune gives him is priceless because <laughs> yep. it is so dismissive. It is just a sideward glance, and it just says, yeah, whatever. And it's, it, again, these little subtlety things. And, of course, it's Mufune, so there you go. Mm. Uh, it's just great. and I, I saw it, and I just started laughing because it's a tiny thing, but it's just it just put his
1: attitude right there. That's the coolest thing about, well, Toshiro Mifune has unbelievable presence. He yes. is one of those actors like, and I have to say, like Clint Eastwood or Robert Mitchum, who walks in and it's like, I am the toughest guy anywhere within sight. I know it. You know it. I don't have to prove it. Yeah. They're just incredible presence and just incredible badass attitude about him. And it's fun
0: to watch because he walks up and these guys are trying to give him a hard time. They're like, "Ah, yeah, you should go away, you stupid Ronin guy." Yeah, see you later, Marty. Yeah, and and <laughs> it's it's so obvious. It's like if you guys had any sense at all, you would just get out of his way. That's you the- notice how
1: he is unconcerned by you. You He's are not- you are nothing to him. You're like the leaves <laughs> blowing in the street, and that's actually again a great establishment. Yeah. Of not only is this guy a badass, not only is this guy incredibly dangerous, these other guys are not. They're no. dumb. They're a bunch of dumb thugs. Yep. This is actually an interesting contrast. I thought between the two movies, in Fistful of Dollars, the bad guys, yeah, they're horrible and nasty, but they're not goofy. They're they seem yes. at least competent. Well, there's the one guy in Fistful of Dollars, like, ha, 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 oh yeah, giggles there. Yeah, but, whatever. Uh, but even but he, fair, he's, a, he's also a, he, and also they're good with their guns. They're they're competent. Yeah, the, and if, these he, guys, pretty much on both sides, you realize there's only one dangerous guy, and that's the guy in my notes I have as Gun Dude. Who uh,
0: is, well, there's two, to be fair, because the guy they call um, oh, the rest the board. The, yeah, they say he's an idiot, which he is, but oh, oh. he actually is capable.
1: Yeah, I guess. Except and then there's the guy with again, a hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the wrestler. Yeah, except even, all of those guys are like, you know, dried grass before Mifune. They're not right. a threat to him at all, as long as he has his sword. Right
0: and and i agree and there there is some definite like the guy who's 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 hamming it up as i can't remember his name but the the boar uh the the, the round faced guy with the fish lips yeah yeah uh, he's really like mugging it like he's uh, he's almost into jerry lewis territory
1: yeah he's almost comic relief except he's also incredibly brutal and cruel right Which maybe that was the point. They wanted to show that contrast. Yeah, but they also make a big point of how dumb he is when he's talking about, you know, yes, we killed the four of them who killed two of ours. He's sitting there counting on his fingers, figuring out which was more. Right. Oh, that's good then.
0: Yes, four (laughs) is good. Um, yeah, early on. So he first encounters those the, the bad guys, and then he just walks away, and they're like, ha, ha, see, he's afraid of us. And he goes to the restaurant to get his exposition. And then he comes back out. <laughs> nice and, big
1: glass of exposition. And,
0: and he tells the the, ca- the uh, coffin maker on the way by, I'm going to need three coffins. And he goes up, and they give him a hard time. And then there's this first fight, and it's like 10 seconds. It's just and- whoosh,
1: zip. And two of them are dead, and one of them's lost an arm.
0: And I don't condone vinyl violence. I really don't. But the fact that it's so fast and is soon, they're still thriving when Mifune turns around and snaps his sword back into the scabbard, and he is like, I know it's done. We're done. And just the finish of that fight says so much. It's like, yeah, not only wasn't I concerned before, but this problem is taken care of, and all he does is say, oh, sorry, I meant four coffins.
1: No, no, um, he said, you know, there were three of them. He says, I need three coffins. I know. I said, I need two coffins. He looks back at the guy with the severed arm, maybe three. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah cuz they do this it's, in It's it's different of in Fistful of Dollars, he does exact the exact same thing happens. He goes over although it's way more wordy. That's the other, the yeah. the thing I really like about Yojimbo versus Fistful, we'll talk about that later, is yeah. there's a lot more talking than I think is necessary. And Yojimbo yeah. does so much with so little dialogue. Mm. Clint Eastwood is like, "Okay, obviously I have to show how tough I am." He goes, "He turns to the coffin maker the coffin maker is a major character in both says i'm going to need three coffins and he kills four guys comes back my mistake four coffins yeah. and it's like okay yeah that's it's cool it's tough <laughs> but it's just not as impressive as because no. with Mifune it happens so fast and there is n- there's four guys with guns you wonder it's like ooh maybe this is going to you know maybe he's going to have trouble because yeah. with guns it is different Yes. And it with Mifune, it's not even a question. The samurai is just so far above these guys. But it's also cool the way it's buried, too. It's mm. like the
0: when the samurai comes out, it's too late. You If you yeah. see the samurai <laughs> come out, oh, nope. And he's got this great, intense look on his face as he turns away from the group and turns toward the camera and snaps that sword back into the scabbard. Mm. Um, it reminds me of, uh, there's a comic called... Um, lone wolf and cub oh. and i don't think he ever played the part i don't uh, it was filmed they did film it but the look on his face is the look of that character mm-hmm. um and again they do a lot with a, with a lot less um although as I, we mentioned earlier too though that you know this film feels western it does feel a lot like you know oh it's high noon time to take out the bad guys mm-hmm. but even then it's still subtle Oh, and it's fast. It's like, "Oh my god. Did did I see the sword move? I'm not sure."
1: <laughs> yeah, the violence in this is, you know, it's it's nasty, yeah. but it it's with him anyway, it's over so quickly because that's how good he is. Yeah. And that really emphasizes that this guy is like borderline magic. Yeah. Except he isn't. He's just and this actually fits because in Jap- in that era Japanese culture all these guys walk around with swords. He's the only one with two because only a samurai is allowed to carry two, which meant these guys are just thugs. Yeah, they have. They maybe they they do have on-, on their side a guy called the fencing master, who I love because he just runs away at the first fight. He's just like <laughs> bye, and yeah. it's not. You don't get the feeling it's because he's a coward. It's like no, this isn't worth it. Bye, I'm leaving. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really get enough of his. Yeah, uh, actually, what I
0: got the idea was is that. He had some skill with the sword, but not nearly as much he was as he was making out. And the thing that's, is, is that yeah. he had more than anybody else there. So for the time being, it was worth him hanging out. But as soon as as Mufune shows up, he's like, "Oh, the real thing!" Now it's time to go. Yeah, maybe that's it. because except... yeah, up till then, it's obvious that these two two groups don't really fight that much. No, they cause...
1: mostly yell at each other and make threatening gestures.
0: Well, that first the first plan he has to get them going at each other, and they're like moving toward each other and then the other one will move and the other group will go, ah, and move back. And they're like, it takes them forever to get close enough to do anything. And they keep shaking their swords half out of trying to be threatening and half because they're nervous. Yeah. So
1: it's obvious that none of these guys really know how to swing one. That's, and, yeah, I, I love that scene because he's climbed up in the bell tower and he's yeah. watching and he's just having so much fun. He's just laughing his ass off and just yeah. well, not not like obviously, but he's like chuckling and smiling like, oh my god, this is so silly.
0: But then of course he's, the plan goes wrong because uh, yeah. Tatsuya well, Nakadai on. shows up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Tatsuya Nakadai but, is nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this guy also he's the one of the most dangerous because he has something nobody else has. He has a gun. Yes. Now, this is 1860, the end of the Tokugawa shogunate. shogunate. Guns showed up in Japan around the 16th, 17th century because the English showed up with them. The samurai class and the the emperor, they squashed it. They said, we don't want these. Nobody's going to It was pain of death to use them. Only, like, the ninja used them. Interestingly, to this day,
0: it is is the, the... the laws against even owning a gun mm. are so high that the Yakuza often do their dirty work with toy guns because to be caught... Ca- I'm serious. To be wow. caught with one, the, the the penalty is so many years in jail that it's not worth it. So uh. if they're caught, it's like, no, 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 it's not real. And then if they actually need somebody to perform an assassination, apparently... I read an article on this recently, so don't dispute me. <laughs> um, but they said that they really pay highly to the person who actually has to shoot because it's automatic life sentence just to Ah. shoot the gun whether you hit anybody
1: or not oh wow so yeah but again it's emphasizing how what a bad guy this is is also an emphasize emphasizing how the time is changing because that's one of the problems one of the things the samurai couldn't stand about the gun we're talking about how these guys have swords but they don't really know how to use them because they weren't allowed to be trained the only people who got the real sort training in, you know, kendo or kenjutsu or, or any of the sword arts were the samurai, and that takes years, an incredible discipline, a lot of work, and along comes this little gadget that any peasant can wield and be as dangerous as a samurai. Right, and we don't and then, know if
0: this guy can swing a sword either. Yeah, we never see, we never see him with a sword. It's almost like he carries it to go, yeah, I still have this thing, but look what I have. Because he shows the damn gun as often as he can, and his eyes are
1: bugging out, and it's like, uh, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Well, he's, I mean, sorry, spoiler, when he is dying, yeah, he begs the samurai to give him his gun back just because he doesn't want to die not holding it. And it's so
0: wonderful to watch. I'm gonna call him Sanjuro because I, I, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I know. keep calling him Mafune, but yeah. Sanjuro is like because he's he's actually thrown a knife into his gun hand, so he's have to hold it in his left. Um, he hands it to him. You're expecting him to throw it off and say, "No, you have no honor" or something like that. And it's like, "No, he hands <laughs> in the yeah. gun because he's like, you are no threat to me." And oh, that's right, you had a gun, right?
1: Yeah, yeah and even there, there's that little scene where he's he's saying, "You know, look, please let me have the gun. I fired it twice. It's empty." <laughs> and I'm, I'm like okay again nobody knows that a re- these revolvers have five or six cylinders and but he gives it to him and he's trying to point it at him he's saying ah, i've tricked you and he, he but obviously and Sanjuro is completely unafraid he just sits there like yeah i don't think you can even lift that and he can't he ends up shooting the ground yeah there's
0: also it's it's very subtle that you know we don't see a lot of blood in this film but when he first goes down mm. uh he's one of uh, two or three that Sandro takes down and he we don't see anything but when he starts talking he lifts his head in the the upper part of his body and there's suddenly this flood of blood that comes Mm. out because of course what has he done sonjuro has of course cut him across the guts Mm. so that's some pretty nasty ugly stuff going on um the first big um after that plan doesn't go through uh they decide to have high noon at 2 a.m. in the morning, because <laughs> yeah. there's a prisoner exchange going on, sort of thing, and it's like, okay, 2 a.m. Okay, not not traditional Western. Although, wait, the time difference would that put it hot? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a really cool scene. This is again the subtlety of this film. There's one point where we only see Sandro, um, walking by in silhouette because it's dark and it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. We don't have any trouble recognizing that it's him.
1: Yeah. It's yes, like when by the he, when, way he carries himself.
0: Yeah, we know it's Mifune mm-hmm. by the way he walks in yep. shadow.
1: It's great.
0: Uh, uh, stuff like that. It's like those tiny little details. And I can't tell if it was Kurosawa or if it was Mifune or both or whatever, but the character has enough of a presence that we see physically that we can identify them without being able to see anything but their outline.
1: And I'd like to talk a little about the other... There are other characters in this movie. Oh, yeah, you know? so there are. <laughs> yes, I mean... There's the weird sort of hansuke, the local what it, he's called the village official. He's like there sort of Yeah, it's hard to tell. I he's sort well, of like a village he, administrator or maybe he's he's not he's not kind of a sheriff because he doesn't carry a weapon. Well, but he's I when the first time I saw him I thought, "Oh, this town has a Peter Laurie." Mm. A little goofier than Peter and certainly gets yeah. around more, but he's
0: obviously playing both sides. He's, you know, oh, no, I'm not going to arrest anybody. And Yeah, he's, everything's just, trying,
1: fine. Trying, he's just trying to make, make his own living at this. And, yeah, he's absolutely useless. Yeah. And... And then there's, you know, the, the innkeeper, Exposition Son. And then yeah. there's uh, the coffin maker, although they keep calling him the Cooper because he made... The, the coffins here are not what I expected coffins look like. They look like big barrels. Right. And that's what they put people in. And yeah, was, yeah. Yeah.
0: And he later that becomes a plot point. We don't see him nearly as much. No. Um, he's actually we see
1: a very minor character and he's played a little more for laughs than yeah. anything else. And then there's the guy with the drum. Right. Crazy drum guy. He's the mayor. Oh, he's the mayor, right? Yeah, because yeah, the... he, he's
0: got the big official shoulder things. Uh,
1: okay, and he's the okay. one who,
0: who at the end goes kind of nuts and
1: yeah. Yeah. Finishes, okay. Yeah. I wondered about that because all we he's almost never seen. You just hear him in his house banging his prayer drum. Basically, it's he's... again that's a really nice touch. He's he's knows he's lost control. He has no power. In this this town, this village, he's trying to pray the gay away. you have no power here. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's trying to pray the bad guys away. He's yeah. just lost because he can't do anything else. He's lost right. all control, and it's broken him. Yeah, he never talks, and he when you see him, he just looks insane.
0: And it's there's, really there's, kind of sad there's the two gang
1: leaders we have uh the one who's in charge of the local
0: brothel and we have the one that's i I keep getting it's silk merchant and sake guy yeah Mm -hmm. um it's sebe and i can't remember the other one unfortunately um but uh the one guy sebe he's i'm assuming it's his wife is in charge of the geisha or the you know supposed geisha Mm -hmm. um and he it's hard to tell who's in charge because she certainly seems like she is or at the very least he doesn't get to do anything unless she agrees to it um so there's sort of two sides of power and this is true in both movies but a little bit more so i think in yojimbo and then his group of people and then the geisha and then you've got the other guy who is in league with the silk merchant and uh his group of 'er Mm ne'er-do-wells um Otherwise, I don't, I'm hoping that everyone else was smart enough to move, although yeah. to be fair, if I remember correctly, and again, if anybody wants to write and tell me I'm wrong, in Japanese society, you just couldn't leave. Yeah. Like, you were a part of somebody's landholding, so like peasants couldn't even move to like the next town without permission.
1: We do so. see other people. They just don't do yeah. very much. Like no. when the sake factory is attacked. Right. And, you know, they're running around trying to trying to save it, but they aren't all thugs. Right. And, of course, we do see one of the major, the family plot point, which is it turns out one of the, uh, uh, I think it's one, yeah, the silk merchant sake guy, one of the three, bro- there are three brothers involved in that, and one of them is in love with this beautiful woman right. who is married and has a small child, but because of gambling debts, He had to sell his wife to them. Right. But he and his son are still in town and they're miserable and the little boy is always trying to see his mother and the mother wants to see the little boy. And here is where we see a little bit of Sanjuro's humanity show through because he he kidnaps the woman. He steals her away, brings them to the husband and the child and gives them like most of the money that he's been paid by these two bad guys because he's going back and forth saying, I'll work for you. Nope, now I'm working for you. Now I'll work for you. And Actually, the, at that point, he gives them all the money. Okay, I couldn't tell. Yeah, it was all of it. Mm. And this, of course, tactically proves to be a mistake. That's kind of his undoing. That's when because somebody eventually sees, sees these people and reports back, and they figure out that he took them away and he right. gets the crap beaten out of him and his sword taken away. And as they say, without his sword, he's helpless. Well, he's right not he's not really but well in... he believes
0: he is too mm, yeah. he's lost his honor and we'll, we'll we'll get up to that point um I wanted to point out something and I, I this is a themic thing about right around this point in the film so it's the whole film is about Sandro trying to get the two evils to fight each other and cancel each other out leaving mm-hmm. everybody else out of it which you know more or less works Um, But his plan starts to go wrong, and I think when it goes wrong isn't when he frees the woman and the husband and the child so much as the next part of the plan seems to involve some innocent people. So he sets fire, or we get the idea that he sets fire to the silk merchant, claiming Mm -hmm. that it was the sake guy. And then I can't tell if he breaks the sake barrels or they actually finally you know go after the sake guy because these two guys are basically blustering at each other the only people they're really hurting or capable of hurting are the townspeople who are not involved yeah and they're also trying to there's a silk festival that's supposed to be happening which is supposed to bring trade and people visiting their town which is where they get their money and where they they do their stuff so by destroying the silk merchant's stock they basically doomed the town to never get that Thing.
1: Well, at least that year. I mean, they're going to have yeah. a very bad year. Yeah, you can tell that that's a major part of the town's economy. That's what all the mulberry bushes are for. Right. Silk, silkworms eat mulberry leaves. Yeah, mulberry is actually also used for other things. You use it to make paper. Oh. Um, so, yeah,
0: so a lot of the Japanese woodblock prints paper is made from mulberry uh, hmm. tree bark. But uh, for me, by, when the plan starts to involve stuff and people outside just the two groups... That's when stuff starts going wrong. So that's when Sanjuro is found out because uh, everyone thought that the sake guys kidnapped the woman and took off with her. And, in fact, he plays it up that way. And then after these plans with the fires and the sake, then um, somebody comes back to town and says, hey, you know, I just saw what's her name and her husband and the kid. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, wait a minute. The only two people who saw them were Fishlips and Sanjuro, Hey, Fishlips, Did you actually see the six dead guys? Oh no, no, no! Sanjiro just told me they were dead.
1: Uh-huh. And again, younger brother, who is the only one in that family with any brains, figures this out. Well, and he suddenly ca- realized, ca- hey, those sword strikes are way too, uh, way too precise for stormtroopers, uh, <laughs> or for yes, those sand ride, people. For sand yes, people, yes, they ride single. Yes, they, Yeah, sand people ride single file to hide their numbers. Um, yeah, and basically he gets the crap beaten out of him, right? right. Sanjiro does, and locked up by the stupidest henchman possible because the way he he gets out is there is a large chest in the room, (laughs) which is probably the only thing in the room. And he hides inside it and the thugs come in and go, oh no, he has gone.
0: Yeah. No one checks the box.
1: Um, (laughs) I got to say in Fistful of Dollars, his escape plan work makes a little more sense.
0: Yes. And I actually had that in my notes too. So that's, that is fair. Um, The thing that I thought was interesting is, and I I wondered if involving the people that were not part of the gangs wasn't something that was pointing to a moral issue, and that by doing so, that's actually his downfall, because then visually... He escapes, once they they ignore the box, the giant, (laughs) oh, buffune-shaped box in the room. Uh, He literally crawls his way into the darkness. In other words, he crawls under the buildings. And I thought that visually, he's crawling into darkness, he's crawling into hell... And then he finally is able to come back out into the light. But when he does so, there is this amazing shot. His topknot is gone. His hair is out. He's pale. His face has blood on it. And he looks exactly like a Japanese demon.
1: He does. And he's actually frightening people. And he gets out of town by, cr- by getting the Cooper and the and Exposition Son to put him in a coffin and carry right. him to a little temple. It's like he's died. Right, and this is his is redemption. Right, I I do also like how they don't do this in Fistful of Dollars, but they actually fool Fishlips into carrying <laughs> the coffin with him in it. Oh, like, you you're not strong enough to carry this. Oh yeah, oh no. it's not you're not strong enough. It's, oh, you won't carry this. Oh. You're probably afraid of dead bodies. a g- g- I'm, g- g- ghost. I'm not afraid of dead bodies. Yeah, and we're going to the cemetery, so ghosts probably scare you. I I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Again, he's a lot more cartoony than any of the ones in the western. Yeah. But I do kind of like it. it it's funny because he this big thug actually has a nice moment when he gets him there and says, "Okay, how about I help you bury him?" Yeah. And it's, it's like, "Wow, that's really nice." No, cuz he's <laughs> not dead. Uh, you you better weren't you supposed to be looking for the guy you just carried out?" Oh, oh yes, brother, right. will beat me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, there there are there are a few
0: issues with or to be fair and this may be a westernized versus easternized sort of thing that things are a little goofy at times and you're... I think
1: that's I think that's more of a theatrical convention.
0: Yeah, and I think But it again, it
1: still works. There's yeah. still unpleasant people you are not sorry when
0: any of them die. No. But I like like you said redemption and I think that he does make a mistake. And by doing so he does have to redeem himself and I like that whole idea and I may be making this up but crawling out of hell literally, you know, and you pointed out the coffin too and that one point where he looks like a demon It's really scary. Um And it you know, then he comes back he gets he he heals up and uh, he finds out that the restaurant guy has been found out trying to bring him supplies and he's like, crap, oh I got I to gotta go. And, and he's like, I have a knife. Well, you can't fight with that. Oh, luckily I brought your lightsaber. I
1: mean, I brought your, your katana. And yeah, that was one of the priests. I mean, he says yeah. here. Are you? No, well, it's, I, it's the coffin maker. It is the coffin maker. As he yeah. points out, I get a lot of these. Nobody wants to use a dead yeah. man's sword. So yeah. he has a bunch of sword, which actually makes a certain amount of sense. Right. And he has a sword in it. He takes the sword and he takes the knife. And he makes, like, one of the best entrances I've ever seen in a movie. It's, yeah. I mean, really, you can you can see how he was influenced by High Noon. Right. There's no spurs, how... but you can hear them anyway. Yep. <laughs> Suddenly there's just this great cloud of dust, which, by the way, that wasn't there. They actually had to ship in all this dirt and blow it with fans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, oh,
1: we are fresh out of dirt. And you look up the street, there's this dust cloud, and then there, there he is. And yep. it's like... Just him standing there. He's already won the fight. You guys yeah. might as well just
0: lie down. And you can see, like, the main guy that he's sort of taunting is nervous.
1: He's yeah. Like, uh, all uh, of them oh. are terrified, except the guy with the gun. The guy with yep. the gun thinks he's invincible. And thankfully, oh, obviously. He's, he's the first sandra- one he takes out. Sandra- Knife yep. in the arm.
0: Yep, right. Yep, that's the end of your shooting. And from then on, the fight does not last. And it doesn't no. need to. We don't linger on anything. There's not any bad cutting. I will say... Mm-hmm. the special effects here the basically you can tell that the sword's not hitting anybody and nobody's bleeding. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Yeah. It's 1961. I don't really have a problem with it, but there is a little bit of waving as opposed to striking, there which is some. good
1: because then some stuntmen would have been hurt. Yeah, very badly. So <laughs> there's yes, actually, right the fight before... goes by like in two minutes. They never, and I'm sorry. It's awe inspiring. Cause you look and you go, you absolutely believe these guys never had a chance. No. They no. just didn't. It doesn't matter if there were six or 60 of them. He would just go through them like wheat. And the one guy who did, he was smart enough to take out first. Yep. The only dangerous one is
0: the first one who goes down. And he did it from afar. When you're talking about that that uh, that scene where he appears, there's actually this amazing shot. Mm. We In the foreground, we have the restaurant guy hanging from ropes. So we see all of him in the foreground, and he sort of brackets... Then you can see Mufune, um, and then you can see the bad guys. Like there's mm. this amazing depth to this shot where you see all three of what's going on. It's a great deep focus shot. Oh, you just... Yeah, it, it is amazing yep. shot. I saw. I made a note just at the time. I was like, ah, this shot. Um, then everything's done, and the the I don't have the exact quote, but it's basically like ah it's so quiet it's like of course it's quiet everybody's dead yeah
1: <laughs> so I don't yeah. know who's left except the restaurant guy and the coffin maker like, and I do I just like the final just that little moment where the the restaurant guy is still tied up and Mifune just walks over pulls up his sword and just cuts through the ropes right he, it looks for a second you think he's going to attack the guy because you have no idea why it just goes and the ropes fall off and he just says so long and walks and I, away that's it he left That he's off to do whatever yep so yep I, now I, I do have we do have to move on we're, we're yes. uh, our times when we got yeah. to get to a fistful of dollars so we a couple do. of things quick about that with the this was a very successful movie the budget was about two hundred thousand dollars and the US gross was 14 million. Wow okay yeah it, it is it, an iconic film it is this is not as many people say the first spaghetti Western there were like 25 other Italian westerns <laughs> literally made before this this was the first with a major international release. This is huh. the one that got a lot of attention, and you can see why because it's very good. I don't think it's the best. I don't even think it's Sergio Leone's best. I got to give that to uh, uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay, but that's wow, wow. just me. Exactly. It's the same <laughs> wap, music. Wap, wap. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Clint Eastwood's trademark squint was a com- caused by a combination of the sun and high wattage arc lamps on the set. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, feel? Do you feel? I, I can't see anything. Yeah. Now. Clint was not the first choice for this. He, w- uh, Leone wanted Henry Fonda. Oh. Uh, he wouldn't do it. James Coburn was too expensive. Charles Bronson turned it down after describing it as the worst script I've ever seen. Oops. Yeah. Uh, Richard Richard Harrison w- also declined, declined it, but he said, hey, Leone, check out these guys on Rawhide. And so oh. they wanted the star of Rawhide, Eric Fleming... Ah. And he turned it down, but he said, "Hey, there's this kid I work with named Eastwood. You might like him." <laughs> now, this was Eastwood's first starring role. He had he had done a bunch some TV and a bunch of uncredited uh, movie appearances, including my personal favorite as lab assistant in Return of the Creature from the Black Lagoon, ah, where he has assistant. one line. And, ah, <laughs> the creature. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He's not even there with the creature. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Eastwood and Leone didn't get along initially about, especially about the uh, script. Eastwood thought it was too verbose. He wanted to, mm. he, and he got, actually had the the director. This has got to be one of the few times this has happened. He had the director cut a bunch of his dialogue. Huh. And then eventually they got along, and Sergio Leone warmed up to Clint Eastwood and jokes joked about him that Clint Eastwood has only two expressions with hat or without hat. <laughs> You know? It's kind of true. It kind of is true. (laughs) Uh, And just one other thing about the music. There isn't a lot of music in Yojimbo. There's some. The music is much more a character in uh, this movie. And it's the composer is Ennio Morricone. And Sergio Leone and uh, Morricone, they knew each other since third grade. Oh, well, there you go. And Leone used him for everything. And he wrote the iconic, you know... Good the bad the, exactly good bad the ugly theme all that stuff was him okay so that's pretty much for trivia that's pretty much show uh, but i mean there's a ton of other stuff but uh
0: so the start of the film
1: blondie yeah. i'll call him blondie we his name's
0: joe but we'll call him blondie i think he gets yeah. called blondie in good bad the ugly yes he does um, i don't know why he's not blonde but no oh he's blonder than anybody yeah. else because they're all the, quote-unquote oh, mexican here oh, in right. italy old cap
1: yeah yeah wow oh, yeah
0: Uh, So Blondie starts off, and here's where I think that the characters are not equal in that, again, that stick scene. But also, I think Eastwood, I'm sorry, Blondie's doing a little better, and we have less of an idea of who he is because he comes in fully equipped. He's got a horse, although to be fair, what's a cowboy without a horse? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But still, he doesn't seem as destitute or as aimless as Sanjuro does. He's a very skinny
1: animal does obviously he hasn't yeah, been well taken care of. It's actually pretty fuzzy.
0: Uh, <laughs> that being said, he doesn't look like he's missing any meals. Maybe he no. can't find any grass, but you know he's doing fine himself. Yeah, um, yeah, he looks healthy. I totally didn't get the guy riding out of town with Adios, amigo on his oh, back. He was a corpse. Oh, he was dead. He okay. was dead.
1: That's one of you see the establishing stuff here. In uh, it's not nearly as subtle, or I think as well done to show that this is a bad place. It's this. Bad guys shooting at a kid right. to make him leave, and then a corpse being uh, rid, riding out of town on a, on a horse being pushed out. It says uh, it, has a
0: sign that says "Adios, amigo" on its back. Yeah. Why it's sitting upright, we'll never know. I but don't
1: know. Yeah,
0: that's why I didn't get it. Is like, why is this guy? Why is he just telling you to leave? I don't know. Mm. So that was confusing. Um, so you, earlier you were saying that this film was inspired by jimbo. It's
1: the same plot. I mean <laughs> like, literally the sa- everything that happens is exactly the same. He rides into town, he meets Señor Ex- Exposiciono in <laughs> again who runs the local inn although apparently it was also a gambling parlor. He had a roulette wheel. I believe uh, the word is ne-
0: exposition. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and next door is the coffin maker. He's not right. a cooper, he's just a coffin maker. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he giggles a fair amount. There's yeah. there's a goofy uh town official, yeah, uh, Diego. But, but, who, but it who shows gets even up. more it gets more specific than that though. Because the
0: first group he meets when he Sandro meets the four thugs, mm-hmm. one of them spits. Mm-hmm. When when Blondie meets the first four gunfighters, one of them spits in exactly yeah. the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, and just like that to prove how tough he is, he goes back and kills them. And yeah, and that, you know, the whole first fights the same except with, you know, guns. And again, um, the difference there is there is a real sense of danger to Blondie because right. there are four guys with guns. That is not something to that you sneeze at. No. It's like if you have a sword and you don't know how to use it, that it pretty much you're you're a waste of time. Right. You have a gun, these guys obviously know how to use it. They we see them shoot at his horse, we see him them shoot at targets. They know how to use the guns. It's just he's so much better. Right. But there's still... Even even a fool gets lucky, right?
0: Mm. And there's a good chance he could have been shot even by a boob. Um, so, yeah, you're correct. There's there's yeah. a bit more danger here. Um, there's also some interesting um, parallels that are... Or I should say translations. So, in this case, he's the only one wearing a serape or something close to it, which is not entirely unlike... Sanjuro showing up in his kimono with his arms inside because it's cold. So there's sort of a visual translation there. So Serape equal in kimono. Um, yeah, I could see that.
1: Which was kind of yeah. cool. And you have the two warring groups. You have the Baxters and the Rojas brothers. <laughs> I kept waiting for Ted to come out. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't do that. Uh, oh, yeah. All right, Blondie, this is it, you and me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing that I have against the groups here is that the Baxters... Seem really ineffectual, and like there's not many of them.
1: Yeah, and given how easily the Rojas take them out at the end, you wonder why has this gone on for any time. You also, it's very clear they were more the filmmakers way more interested in the Rojas brothers right. because we don't see that much of the Baxters.
0: No, and also the Rojas live in this palatial estate at the end of the street, and the um, Baxters d- don't.
1: Well, they live in a nice house, but this, you know, they. The Rojas have like this whole compound with many buildings and these guys live in one big house. Yeah. Again, it's a, obviously a situation where you have, you know, Baxter, who is the town sheriff, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and his, his badass wife, who is clearly calling a lot of the shots, and a wimpy son, just like yeah. uh, just, just like the brothel people in uh, Yojimbo.
0: Yeah, but worse because this guy literally doesn't do anything. I'm not no. even sure he speaks.
1: I think he has one. Yeah, he says mother. I think that's about yeah, it. Mommy. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just uh, totally so uninteresting. I, and again, there is a beautiful woman who the Rojas brothers are are holding captive. Although it's a little, they they get around the whole slavery thing by saying she was basically kidnapped, and they told the Rojas boys told the father that they would kill the little boy if he tried if he tried to take her back. Well, she wasn't kidnapped because
0: uh, what happened was the, the father was, was playing cards and the Rojas cheated and everybody knows he cheated and mm. he took the wife as the debt and said, you can't do anything about it because you owe us all this money. Yeah, And, and we'll, at least they say, and they threaten the child. Right. But it's like they say specifically that they cheated and everybody yeah. knows it. So it's like it's a little muddier. Um, whereas in, in uh, Yojimbo, it's just like, I'm the magistrate. I get this. Yeah. And so you know, and there's gambling too. But in this case, they don't talk about it being having been cheated.
1: And again, he, it's in, in, in his case. It's that's his doubt. In this that's his big mistake. Is right. he lets? Is he gets them out? Right. Although it's funny, we're skipping ahead a little bit. Yeah, we are. Uh, it's yeah, his motivation. You're not like Sanchuro, You get the feeling he is trying to regain a sense of self. He's trying to. Figure out who he is and what to do. We're really not sure why Joe does anything except uh, because it either amuses him or he wants to get paid. Well, let's go to the big
0: word, honor. I think that Sanjuro is either trying to regain or prove that he still has honor, even though he has no master, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a bigger thing. With with Blondie, it's
1: like, hey, I'm in town now. Although I get the feeling that he's also just got a sense of decency. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he said, this is a terrible situation. I think I can fix it. You're in the wrong time, and you're in the wrong part of the world. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And there's this strange subplot uh, involving the the U.S. and Mexican armies and a stolen shipment of gold that I actually think kind of muddies the waters a bit. I mean, it's an interesting thing for his plan, but mostly it's just there to show how brutal and nasty these guys are, and we've already seen that.
0: Well, and one of the problems, too, is that there's this ambush, and it's obviously, we find out that it's the Rojas pretending to be the Americans, Mm -hmm. um, which, okay, because, yeah. And they have a machine gun, which did show up somewhere in there. It's a Gatling gun, whatever it's supposed to be. That was Um, not a Gatling
1: gun. That was a Maxim gun, and I think that was too early.
0: Well, regardless, the Mm. big thing I had was, there's a lot of guys from the Mexican army none of them fire back none of them (laughs) nobody none of them seem to think about hey we've got guns too and it takes a while Mm. like there's like oh there's a guy i'll shoot him oh there's someone over there it's like no and and some of them aren't even turning to run they just get shot and fall over and it's a long scene it's a couple of minutes for this this quote-unquote gunfight yeah and it's like why i don't understand why nobody's Okay, whatever.
1: Yeah, there's a um, lot, it's a very brutal, nasty scene, and I don't really think it serves much of a purpose in the movie. And that's something I didn't think about any scene in *Yojimbo*.
0: No, they mis- they refer to the magistrate killing, but yeah. that whole thing was supposed. This is supposed to be that version of the magistrate killing yeah. from *Yojimbo*. Yeah. Um, well, going back a little bit, um, when we see the armor in uh oh, this, yeah. we see it's like oh there's some foreshadowing because if you've known if you know anything about this film you know the scene that we see in back to the future right so it's a little bit of foreshadowing yeah. oh he likes to shoot the armor oh good look he likes to shoot at the heart because uh if he shoots anywhere else that's going to be a problem um yeah, yeah. we well, also we'll talk about the
1: physics of that too later
0: yeah uh so here's a real a small thing and i can't prove this because there's no credits either way um one of the rojas brothers is unfortunately dubbed by one of the same actors who dubbed speed racer so really yes yes he was the guy (laughs) who did inspector detector and usually usually the bad guys and i just sat there listening going okay
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh, I bet that but, was Esteban, wasn't it? The tallest he, one. The good-looking I think guy. so. Okay. Well, good
0: looking. He was yeah. kind of good looking. Um, also, one of the other moral issues we have here is um, yeah, Sanjiro gives the money back. He's like, oh, well, I'm not going to work for you, so here's
1: the money. Uh, Blondie doesn't. <laughs> well, he does once. <laughs> but The he, first he... time... He gives it back, and then he just keeps everything. Right. And also, when he he helps the family get away, he gives them some money. Right. And I know this because he only gives them some paper money, and he has, like, two bags of gold he stole from the Rojas. And the best part is that the paper money, it's all ones. If you look closely, <laughs> oh, really? they're all $1 bills.
0: <laughs> and it's like, okay, so five that's, that's supposed to be 500 dollars. ones, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, so one of the other uh, logistical things is they talk about, so Blondie sets up these two dead guys that have supposedly escaped, and he puts them in the cemetery, which is apparently 20 miles from town. It's really far away. And it's like, it's not like the cemetery in the next town. They've decided, oh, when we bury our dead, we want to make sure that there's no chance of them walking back. (laughs) So apparently we take this long, I don't know, do people walk out to the funeral? I don't know. But- There's this chase scene where they have to, you know, Blondie has to get back in time before the bad guys do so that it looks like he had nothing to do with uh, this whole thing. He doesn't. Um, And it's like him getting ahead of them. And it's like, okay, it's tension filled. I just don't know why the cemetery is so far away. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Again, you know, we're talking mostly about the negative stuff. Uh, Visually, this movie's terrific. Again, Sergio Leone is great at shooting locations, and you really get the sense of. Okay, no, you're not in the American West, but you're You're in some really nice parts of Italy. There are parts of the American West that don't look unlike that. I'll that, say is that, true. that is true.
0: According to South Korea, as seen through MASH, it actually looks a lot like Southern California in places. Yeah, yeah. But and, it's uh, supposed to be Mexico, so yeah. I, Mexico the, the, I don't know.
1: The Rio Grande River that they are fighting over. I Rio don't Bravo. Huh? Rio Bravo. Uh, oh, they said the Rio Bravo? Yep. Oh, okay. Then I still don't think that's the Rio Bravo, but okay. No. Doesn't matter. It looks great. It's beautiful, and it also gives a real sense of you know everything's sort of dirty and uh, gritty and unpleasant, except although everyone's got really nice teeth.
0: Yes, yes, especially clean Eastwood. We get real close-ups of that. Yeah, um, yeah, we do get
1: a good good sense of
0: place. I will say that I think the photography in Yojimbo's better. Yeah, um, I think to be so. fair, he also probably had a good lot, a good deal more money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll uh, say the can- cantina over owner, the cantina exposition, uh has more of an active role in this because yeah. he actually pulls a gun at one point, which I find a little troublesome because when you pull a gun on the, uh not the Baxters, the, the, the Rojas, I don't know why they don't shoot him. I mean, yeah, yeah they I, treat him, they rough
1: him up later, but. No, you know. I, I, that, I that was a problem for me too. It's like, okay, you're dead. There's yeah. no way they can let that stand. They might not do it now, but they'll shoot yeah. you in the back of the head or something. There's no way he would have. they would have let him live. And then the subplot where
0: the, the woman is in the small house. Take her to the small house, which is conveniently 10
1: miles away. Yeah, the I, small house is really far. I don't get it. Um, As Ma- and also, Marisol, the blue-eyed Mexican woman, who, by um, the way, is actually a German actress, very popular, <laughs> also, who interrupted her medical studies to become an actress. Oh, well, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Also... Um,
0: when they're I have to say if we're, we're I'm ragging on the film a little the makeup and blood effects in this film are shall we say lacking yeah because not people that seem impressive to, people seem to bleed red
1: model paint
0: yeah, very
1: uh, very bright red blood yeah however yeah. again in this movie's credit the villains in this at least the Rojas brothers I think first off they're way more menacing these guys they are, are kind of are scary especially Big brother Rojas he's uh, as they say you know with a gun in his hand he's unstoppable yeah. And there's um, real, you, you, there's much more of a sense of threat to Blondie than there is really to the samurai. These guys are dangerous. You believe yeah. that. And they're not goofy and they're not stupid. Just a little greasy, which is fine. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. greasy. You can tell it's
0: hot. Oh, yes. boy. It, it's it's hot. hot. Everybody's sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, there are a couple of things like, uh, what's the word I want, Uh, strategy-wise, like, Mm. oh, we're going to lock Blondie up in this giant room in which we keep the gold, by the way. Yeah, they they
1: lock him in this huge room where I remember looking around thinking, okay, in this I would believe there's so many things for him to hide in that they might not find him. I do kind of like, I I question how he could have done it considering he's supposed to be a wreck, but he crawls up into the... uh, I don't know what you would call it, the upper part, and shoves a huge barrel down onto two of the guys who come to beat him up. Well, to be fair,
0: we do see the barrel perched there early on. True. When he first goes and finds the money, so it's probably literally just like a shove because it's yeah. empty. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any problem with that. And as you no. pointed out, the, the escape in this case works yeah. a little better. Although it makes more sense. he gets outside the room around the corner. People come in because there's this overdub. Esteban, what is that noise? <laughs> which is <laughs> I yeah, don't know. Okay. Let's go see. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. And then he tosses in a, a match and it sets things on fire, which makes more sense than yeah. don't look in the box. Yes, so. it does. Because there's obviously liquor and such in there. And then Blondie gets to eventually gets to a cave. He has a gun that I don't know where it came from, but okay, whatever. Never mind bullets. Yeah. And then of course we get to the the very iconic scene of him at the end with the metal plate, which yeah. unfortunately yeah. when he takes off his serape is hanging about halfway down his torso.
1: <laughs> well, it's been hit a bunch. Yeah, that's the other problem. His big thing is again he does the big entrance into town, yep. and it looks great. Yep. It's, it looks almost as good as it does in your Jimbo. And he, and Clint Eastwood, he has presence aplenty. Yep. He really does. And you stand there and you can understand why suddenly they're taking it seriously. It is a very different thing, though, if there are like a bunch of guys with guns. right? And a bunch of guys we know are really good with them. So the guy with the rifle starts shooting him in the chest and he keeps getting back up and they're freaked the hell out. Well, I actually really like the fact that he even tells the guy, he
0: throws his own words back on him and says, you got to hit him in the heart or it's never going to work. He's never going to die, which is, of course, his way of saying, please don't hit me anywhere else.
1: Yeah, please don't shoot me in the head. Right. (laughs) And it turns out he has, you know, from from a piece of mining card, he's cut out a piece, a big hunk of cast iron and is wearing it on his chest. Right. That would not work. Well, the... Gas would me. probably it have would shattered. S- it, well, not necessarily. It might have stopped the bullets, and he did show he was shooting at it, and the bullets bounced off it. But he has just been, it's the equivalent as if he's been hit in the chest with a sledgehammer six or seven times. Right. All of his ribs are broken. Uh, his lungs have probably collapsed. Bulletproof vests, even today, don't work that well. If you get shot, I, it always gets me in the movies, I had a friend who had actually worn one and they and tested it, and it looks like that you get shot with a bulletproof vest and then you get back up, brush yourself off, and I'm fine. No. The only one of the only movies where they actually made it at all realistic was, oddly enough, the Keanu Reeves movie Point Break, where he gets shot and he's unconscious. He goes down, he doesn't get up, and when he gets up, he's got four broken ribs. Right. A bulletproof vest does not bounce bullets off. It just keeps it from killing you. That's it You are a mess However Um, But it's it's the West It's the old West And uh, gunpowder wasn't as strong
0: And bullets were smaller
1: (laughs) Those were 45s Thank you very much He even says that But anyway It's still It's a a good fight scene And I do like the final challenge Where he empties his gun Rojas' rifle is, is empty He's dropped it So he throws his gun down Takes out one bullet and says, let's go. And it's basically a race to see who can load the gun and shoot it first. Yep. And that's actually tense because you don't know. Right. None, neither of those are that fast. Load. Of course, he, he wins. Yeah. And in both well, films,
0: he takes out the one real threat. Yeah. Which is he, the guy who can actually shoot.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And, and I, I like the idea that in both of them, they're both kind of like, is this guy a demon? What the hell? He should be dead already. Yeah. Why is he not? Dead and why is he still shooting? I could see why people
1: would go, uh, 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 uh g- 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 ghost. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that. Uh, I, I, oh, sorry. One of the contrast I thought was interesting is when he saves the family, as opposed to the way the samurai does. The woman asks him, "Why do you do this?" And he said, and he actually tells her, "He says because I knew someone like you once, and there was no one there to help." Mm. Whereas when they're bowing, you know, when Sanjuro has helped them and they're like on their knees bowing to him, and he's screaming at them and saying you are pathetic I hate pathetic people I hate weak people get out I think he's just trying to get them to go he's trying to get them to go yeah but he's being a real but he doesn't there's no vulnerability there there's no glimpse into his character the way there is here I kind of like that I I like it in both it it just immediately to me makes the characters very different well, speaking of that, we need to, to wrap up. Yes, we do.
0: The Roundup. So, we have Yojimbo. We have Fistful of Dollars that was made only a few years later yep. without the permission of the original <laughs> director. And he paid for it. I want to say that on the whole, if you had to give a nod to one or the other as being the better film, I think Yojimbo is a better film. Mm. That being said, I don't think A Fistful of Dollars, especially considering the budget and the limitations of the time, is that much less of a film. And most, I of, think these are I, both
1: great movies. I think Yojimbo's a little better.
0: Yeah, I think that one of the problems I have is that there's a few... A couple of stylistic choices, there's a couple of plot choices that Fistful makes that I don't understand why they make, mm-hmm. But and there's some stuff I probably don't understand about Japanese culture, but this is an iconic film that, even though it wasn't the first Spaghetti Western, pretty much launched yeah, that whole subgenres attention in in the the states. Everyone
1: started copying that style, right? And, and if you notice, because this is one of the, uh, just one last thing Leone's problems with a lot of the westerns is he thought they were too sanitized and too preachy. And right. if you look at a lot of the John Wayne stuff or the Gary mm-hmm. Cooper stuff, everything's very clean, mm-hmm. and everything is very good, very black and white. There are right. the absolute good guys and the absolute bad guys. And this is the first time where the good guys some of them are kind of bastards. Yeah, and they shoot people, too. Yeah. Um, not just when they're being shot at. but yeah, and they don't know. just shoot you in the arm
0: or something. Right. Yeah. Oh, ouch, ouch. So, yeah, I would say they're both worth watching for Definitely. different reasons. But, I, you know, if you're generally not interested in foreign films, please don't give Yojimbo a pass. Yeah. It is It is a really amazing piece of cinema. Um, speaking of amazing pieces of cinema, mm-hmm. next week... Yes. We're going to do this again, but... Yes. Perhaps... Perhaps not quite as amazing as this, but then again, we'll see. Uh, next week I would like to delve into the two versions of Oceans Eleven. Ah, ring-a-ding-ding. Yeah, we have the Brat Pack special, which is uh, apparently an Rat excuse pack. to <laughs> Rat pack. That's what he said. No, you said Brat Pack. I did not say Brat Pack. There is there are no Estevez's in this film. This is this is uh, you know, the the yeah. Sammy Davis Jr., this is the uh, Frank uh Frank Avroush. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, that would have been a different film. Uh, hi, Bozo here to bring you Ocean's Eleven. And then the remade version with uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt, amongst others, uh, which also was part of that uh, heist film renaissance in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we'll be looking at those two films next week. And if you would like to look into those films, do so ahead of time or be pleasantly surprised.
1: Mm, Until then, it's yeah. me saying... Do you feel lucky, audience? Well, <laughs> yeah. do you? We're the men with no names Max and Mike.
0: Max Mike Movies is a co production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.